to Biblical Talks Podcast with Michael Tolliver. This podcast is dedicated to biblical teaching and having worldview discussions from a biblical perspective. Here is today's podcast. Beloved, let's continue to listen to Dr. Bacham. You can't be satisfied. Why? We're not made to be satisfied that way. By the way, heterosexuality outside of the proper confines has the same problem. It's insatiable. You cannot be satisfied because you were not meant to be satisfied that way. Folks, the only place that you and I can find satisfaction is in Christ. And the only reason that the marital union can be satisfying for us is because we are in Christ and in a marriage relationship that has been ordained by God, created by God, not to satisfy us completely in and of itself, but because Christ is our ultimate goal, being in a relationship whose purpose is the illustration of the relationship between Christ and His church brings us the only possibility whatsoever that we can be satisfied with another person. Outside of that, it does not, cannot, and will not exist. And so this sin is unnatural, and this sin is insatiable. I don't know how many of you have personal relationships with homosexuals. But if you have personal relationships with homosexuals, and if you know a number of homosexuals, you, if you met one or two people in your life who may have been homosexual, nah, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, if you've got a good sample, if you've met dozens of homosexuals in your life, here's what you know and can say without hesitation. They're the most miserable lot you've ever met in your life. It's insatiable. It cannot and will not be satisfied. That's why this push for marriage is so ironic. The most promiscuous lot on the planet pushing for marriage. Kirk and Madsen, by the way, make it very clear why the push for marriage is important. The push for marriage is important because it's another step in the propaganda war. It's another step towards acceptance. Thirdly, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. It's unnatural, it's unnatural, it's insatiable, and it's devastating. Homosexuality is a devastating and destructive lifestyle. Let me read this for you. I can read from this one. (laughs) I've I've, I've read through this section enough to where I feel like I can edit it down. But this is from the book Straight and Narrow, Compassion and Clarity in the Homosexuality Debate. And there does need to be clarity because there can't be compassion without clarity. And see, you, you, if you watch television or if you watch movies, here's what you see. You see the picture of the homosexual who's the snappy dresser, 
who understands, you know, how the world works, who's, you know, the most witty person in the room always, the life of the party. That's the way in movies and on television, that's the way homosexuality is portrayed. They even took the word gay, which used to mean happy. And so there's a picture of this sophisticated lifestyle, this sort of bohemian freedom that homosexuals enjoy, the finest of everything. But here's the reality. The most poignant way to summarize the barrage of statistics that describe this chapter is to translate them into an illustration. Suppose you were to move into a large house in San Francisco with a group of 10 randomly selected homosexual men in their mid-30s. According to the most recent research from scientific sources, whose authors are without exception either neutral or positive in their assessment of homosexual behavior. That's important. The data I'm about to give you, this is from people, none of this is from people who are anti-homosexual. None of this data. This is from people like Kirk and Madsen, who are homosexuals themselves, who talk about the data. And with the use of lower numbers where statistics differ. So if one person says 25%, another person says 30%, they take the 25% instead of the 30 for this illustration that I'm about to give you. The relational and physical health of the group would look like this. Again, 10 randomly selected gay men in their 30s. Four of the ten are currently in relationships, but only one of those is faithful to his partner. He will not be within a year. Four have never had a relationship that lasted more than a year. And only one has had a relationship that lasted more than three years. Six are having relations regularly with strangers. Again, six in ten. And the group averages almost two partners per person per month. Three of them occasionally take part in group activities. One is a sadomasochist, and at least one is a pedophile. Three of the men are currently alcoholics. Five have a history of alcohol abuse. Four have a history of drug abuse. Three currently smoke cigarettes. Five regularly use at least one illegal drug. Three are multiple drug users. Four have a history of acute depression. Three have seriously contemplated suicide. Two have attempted suicide. Eight of the ten have a history of STDs. Eight currently carry infectious pathogens and currently suffer from ailments caused by these pathogens. At least three are infected with HIV, and one has full-blown AIDS. That is the homosexual lifestyle. It is devastating. It is destructive. And that's precisely what Paul says. Receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. By the way, usually when we read that, people will hold that up and they'll say, see, AIDS. If you notice the list that I just read, that was the last thing on the list. This is a devastating lifestyle. So, so here's my question. Is the proper and most compassionate way to respond 
to a lifestyle that sounds like what I just read. To say that everybody needs to just close their eyes and accept this. Or is the proper response to say, this is unnatural. It's insatiable. And it's devastating and destructive. And Christ is your only hope. Which one's more compassionate? Which one's more honest? Which one offers any hope whatsoever? And anyone under the sound of my voice who knows someone who's wrestling in this lifestyle does not need to be convinced of what I'm saying. But there may be some here who've bought the lie. There are some here who believe what you see in the movies and believe what you see in television and believe what's portrayed in the press. That somehow this is just a lifestyle filled with snappy dressers and quick-witted men and women who are just loving and desperately desire nothing more than to be accepted and to have the same opportunities that the rest of us have to settle down with the one they love. Anyone who knows the homosexual lifestyle knows that's a farce. It is deception, pure and simple. Here's the thing you need to see. On this continuum, we start with the first four commandments. And man in direct violation of our duty to God. And we move into the last six commandments in man's direct violation of his duty toward his fellow man. But I want you to notice something that happens between the last paragraph and this paragraph. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That's a statement about what we do with one another. But we just turned the corner. And now we're talking about what we do to one another. And there's a difference. There's a difference between what we do with one another and what we do to one another. Are they both sinful? Yes, they're both sinful. But one of the most unthinkable aspects of the homosexual lifestyle is the devastation that individuals are heaping upon one another in the name of love. And that's not love. Love doesn't do this. But here's the other problem. And the bigger picture. And again, by the way, all of this, here's what I want you to note. I want you to note that you don't need special revelation for what Paul just said. Do you realize that? We didn't have to go to all the Bible verses about homosexuality in order for Paul's point to be made. His point is, one, it's unnatural. You look at nature and you see that. General revelation, common grace gets us there. Secondly, it's insatiable. 
Kirk and Matson in their book, and other homosexual authors have made that very observation. It's insatiable. You cannot be satisfied, which is why there's such alcohol use and drug use and depression and attempts at suicide. It's insatiable. There is no hope. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. You do not need special revelation in order to demonstrate that. And finally, it's devastating. It's destructive. The statistics that I read, again, he took those from authors who are pro-homosexual, and many of them homosexuals themselves, not from evangelicals who are out to warn the world. So this goes right back to Paul's argument at the beginning of this section. Man is without excuse, not because of what God has said, but just because of what God has revealed in nature. We'll be back after a quick break. We'll be back after a quick break. Each month, Elder Tolliver offers a spiritually encouraging book to help you in your walk with Christ for any size donation. Please go to biblicaltalks.com to take advantage of this opportunity. How much more so? When we recognize the special revelation that has been violated. Let me give you a list. Genesis 19, 4 through 9. That is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Leviticus 18.22 You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13 If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Deuteronomy 23.17 and 18 None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. By the way, cult prostitutes for males was homosexual prostitution. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord, your God, in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord, your God. Even things that were associated with the practice. 1 Kings 14.24, 15.12, and 22.46, and 23.7 all deal with the issue of cult prostitution for males. Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9, for the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Lamentations 4.6, for the chastisement of the daughters of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung out for her. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 4.19 they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The word used there for impurity includes the practice of homosexuality. 
First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.9, understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And Jude, verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. See, here's what the homosexual community says on the inside of the church. There are just a few obscure verses that make mention of homosexuality. And those verses are all talking about practices that are not loving. But none of them would condemn a loving, committed relationship. I I didn't hear that in what we read. General revelation condemns this. Special revelation condemns this. But here's what I also want you to understand. In almost every instance where you see the practice of homosexuality condemned, you see general sexual immorality condemned right alongside with it. Amen. So here's what we need to know. What the homosexual needs is the same thing that the rest of us need. We need Christ. We need to be redeemed. And there is hope. I've told you this before, perhaps. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you again. Because it marked me indelibly. This is several years ago now. I'm on the campus at San Jose State University. I spent a week between San Jose State and Stanford uh, preaching on the campus there. Sometimes just preaching, you know, out in the quad, you know, just sort of open-air preaching. Other times we were doing different things. But so we're there in, at San Jose State, and we have uh, these tracts that we're passing out, and we're talking to people about the gospel, and we're preaching, and this young lady comes up to me. This young lady comes up to me, and she has on uh, some blue jeans, some combat boots, and an army jacket. And she's, you know, sort of wearing her clothes and her hair in such a way uh, as it didn't take a lot to figure out which group she represented. She was part of a lesbian group on campus. She and a friend came up, got in our faces. And it was obvious in that moment. She got right up in my face. It was obvious what she wanted. She wanted a confrontation. She wanted me to go off. And she was pushing all the buttons, just just right up in my face. And by the grace of God, I was able to remain calm and continue to smile and all these sorts of things. Eventually, I gave her some of the literature that we were passing out. She didn't get the fight that she wanted, and so she walked off. And I'm just thanking the Lord. I'm grateful because we've experienced victory. 
She wanted a war right in front of everybody. She didn't get the war that she wanted. There's been victory, and so we're all celebrating. Things calm down, and people are in classes. It's half an hour, 45 minutes later. She walks up to me, but her gait is different than it was before. She opens up this track, and she says, what does this mean? And so I explain to her what it means. Well, what about this? I explained to her what it means. She's asking questions about the gospel. And she looks at me and she says, Do you mean to tell me that you believe that this Jesus that you preach would save me too? And I looked at her and I said, Oh yeah. And she just stood there. And so I looked at her and she just stood there not knowing what to do. And I said, can I pray for you? And with tears coming down her face, she looked at me and she asked me, would you really do that? Right here? Right now? I'd be honored to. And so she just kind of stood there and put her hand. She didn't know what to do. <laughs> I put my hand on her shoulder and I began to pray for her. And she just leaned forward and her head just fell on my shoulder as I was praying for her. And all of a sudden it just dawned on me. I wonder how many times in this young woman's life a man has touched her with no intention of harming her or using her. And I prayed for her, and she began to sob. And then this thought dawned on me. It would take no more grace for God to save her than it did for God to save me. No more. She was caught up in a particularly heinous lifestyle. But I hear this. Jesus saves to the uttermost. He is able. The last thing you and I need to do is to buy this lie that says what the homosexual needs is for us to alter what God has revealed in nature and what he has revealed in his word so that there is no longer this condemnation of sin. Don't believe that. But at the same time, don't you dare believe you're better. Don't you dare believe that homosexuality is a bridge too far. God is able. Share the gospel. Share Christ as your only hope and as the homosexual's only hope. Not to condemn. God's law can do that all by itself. That's not our job. Speak the truth. But by all means, speak the truth in love. That is the homosexual's only hope. And it is yours as well. Let's pray.
love. Have a blessed day. for listening to Biblical Talks. This podcast is solely supported by listener donations. Please go to biblicaltalks.com to support this podcast and have a blessed day.